0: This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. We
1: were down a couple there, and then like you said, we didn't really push push that much, and we were down in the game that we were down. So, um, like I said, that's on us. That's on the players that we got to be we got to be better. Um, we got to refocus and be ready for next game. Yeah, I mean, and the you know break breaks happen in the
2: game, and uh, you know, but when it's on a consistent basis like that, we uh, just gotta sharpen up a little bit, and you know wake up a little bit and uh, stop, stop doing that. But some of them were kind of unlucky today. So um, I can't really say that, you know, we didn't try or we didn't push. It just, you know, bad breaks happen
0: this point. Listen, we had the momentum in this game clearly in the first whatever, 10, 12 minutes, whatever it was. And we gave the momentum back with our self-inflicted errors, it's plain and simple. And... You know, just uh, egregious turnovers and lack of execution. And in the end, we just gave them freebies. And this is a tough league to, uh, to win in if you're just going to continue to do that. So, and then, you know, give them credit. Now they come out and prote- have to protect the lead. And I just, if there was one disappointing part to the game, was our lack of pushback in, in the last two periods. That was, uh, that was tough.
2: The results was tough did not see that coming.
0: But... You know what? I was listening to yesterday's show. What I was driving somewhere. Yeah. And was it Lucas had the tweet? He did. He said, I see Trapped. this as a trap game. I see Connor Bedard with a hat trick, which there are a lot of Hawk fans in the building last night who thought he had a hat trick. And they donated their hats, even though he got an assist on that goal. But he had a big night. He had two goals and two assists. So I see him scoring off the rush, and the Lightning having turnover problems. I'm like, man, Lucas, go buy a lottery ticket right now, because he hit yeah. the nail on the head there. Well, you know, he um, he tweeted
2: at us. <laughs> he goes, I, must be I, was right? I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that <there> just a <laughs> three-word <basically>, tweet? <laughs> that's what it basically. That's basically what he said, and uh, I appreciated the the follow-up because he did hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And Not
0: for the first fifteen or sixteen minutes, no, though.
2: No, and you know, look, the Lightning had a two-one lead at one point in this game. And they I know could have
0: it's... been up five-one. I thought Marazic Fifteen minutes was good. into the game, did
2: you? Would, would you agree? I thought Morazik was good.
0: Yeah, he was. He he was a star in the building. Phil made him a star. He should have been a star. Yeah. So let's just dive right in, okay? Because Please do. we're gonna have Braden Coburn on at the bottom of the hour. I'm very curious to get Kobe's thoughts on. Kind of how the game turned as drastically as it did, he was he was there and he was working the intermission and and pregame postgame for Bally Sports, so he watched the game live. So first things first, this this notion of the first home game back after a long road trip, we saw Montreal was a little off, I think, in the first period in the game on Tuesday, and for the Canadians that was their first home game back after a long road trip. The difference between that game between the Canadians and the Lightning on Tuesday and the game last night between the Lightning and Blackhawks was the Canadians were the fresher team on Tuesday. The Hawks were the fresher team last night. The Hawks hadn't played since Saturday. The Lightning had games on Monday and Tuesday. And they were not flat to start the Lightning. The Canadians, I thought, were flat to start. And they maybe had a little bit more energy as the game progressed, they were down big and they tried to get back in the game and, and weren't able to do it. I do not think that we can put this entirely in the in the column of first home game back after a long road trip and the Lightning were off a little bit. Because they weren't off in the first 15 to 16 minutes of the game. They were fantastic in the first 15 to 16 minutes of the game. But... When we talk about the pushback, and this is my opinion, which is why I want to get Kobe's take on it as well. When you get smacked in the face like they did, and the other team kind of puffs his chest out, which is what happened. The Hawks started feeling really good about their game. The Lightning, I think, were trying to dig deep, and there wasn't anything there. Was that the function of the first home game back after a long road trip? Possibly. And I'm not looking to make excuses. John Cooper wanted his team to push back more than they did. But I saw a team that looked a little physically and mentally not fatigued, but not as sharp as they have been or could have been. We saw it in some of the mistakes they made. They made more mistakes after the Hawks scored their, their four goals and whatever it was, five and a half minutes late first into the start of the second. So I don't think that the, the first home game back after a long road trip affected their start, but I think they, when they got down in the game, they had a hard time finding that extra gear to pull themselves out of the mess they had dug for themselves. And the other team had a vote too. Like the Blackhawks, the Blackhawks were awful in the first 15 minutes of that game. They were, they were brutal. I mean, how many scoring chances did they give up to the Lightning? They probably had, before Korchinski tied the game at two, they might have had a minute total of possession time. And one of those sequences led to the first goal that they scored from Bedard, which was off a turnover. And there's the common denominator. I think the Lightning, more than anything Chicago did when the game was hanging in the balance, in other words, early in the game, when the game turned, I thought it was more than the, the Lightning than the Blackhawks, honestly. Now, maybe Blackhawks fans will take exception to that. Sergachev kind of said as much about Bedard. He said he's a great player, but he didn't really have to do very much to, to, to convert. I mean, we basically handed, handed it right to them. Three of the four goals the Lightning allowed in the first period were directly off turnovers that could have been avoidable. And the fourth goal was off a faceoff following an unforced icing that was avoidable. So when we talk about turnovers, how many are you committing and where are they happening? And the first turnover wasn't like directly leading to a scoring chance, but Bedard made a really good play. Phil talked about this on the broadcast. Once Hedman tried to rim it around the boards and have got a stick in the way and stole it, Bedard got to the front of the net and got open for an easy tap-in. So that was a combination of a turnover and then poor coverage reacting to the turnover. Goals three and four for the Hawks, though, were so obviously avoidable for the Lightning. And was that mental fatigue? I mean, the turnovers that led to the chances coming back the other way were, in John Cooper's words, egregious. So then maybe you think, all right, well, we've generated so many chances in the first period, even though it's 4-2, we still have 40 minutes left. Let's start the second and, and... and keep doing what we were doing for much of the first, Tanner Janot takes a, a four-minute double minor for a high-staking, and the Hawks convert on the power play. Now it's 5-2. I kind of feel like even though there was more time left than when it happened in the Columbus game, like pushback becomes harder when you really get smacked in the face. And the Lightning got smacked in the face in that Columbus game where the Blue Jackets st- scored two quick goals to turn a 2-1 deficit into a 3-2 lead, and the Hawks scored four quick goals. And even though there was an intermission there, the fact that they, they built on their lead early in the second really helped them. And they kind of, I don't want to say they put it in cruise control. They didn't. They were very, very good playing with a 5-2 lead, the Blackhawks. They were aggressive. They pressured the puck. They had swagger. They probably, if they didn't outchance the Lightning the rest of the way, they very well may have. It was close. I mean, the Lightning didn't get nearly as many scoring chances after it was 5-2 as they did earlier in the game. But the Blackhawks could have scored more than five. I mean, they were, they were terrific in the final 40 minutes in terms of how they were hounding pucks and, and zipping it around, and that's what a confident team looks like. So the opposite was true earlier in the game. So what do we attribute this to? Turnovers again that has been a common denominator this year for the lightning when they have gotten into trouble for the most part it has been tied to turnovers and often unforced turnovers that's one part of it the second part of it was how the game unfolded i think made it more difficult for them to find that extra gear that they needed to kind of swing momentum back on their side when there was still enough clock left to do something about it that's how i saw the game last night
2: yeah, kind of a flurry there where Chicago did their damage. And I think you said it right. They, they capitalized on some of those turnovers. Bedard obviously was, was a difference maker in that game for them.
0: I thought Nick uh, Foligno, I know Bedard got the first star in the building, yeah. and, and he should have. You know, he had four points. Foligno was phenomenal for them. I mean, he made, he he made the plays on goals three and four, really. Yeah. I mean, he nudged the puck forward on goal three, and he made the pass to Bedard on goal four.
2: Right. And, you know, it was interesting hearing Sergachev's comments after the game. There was a lot of talk about defensive structure, system, 14 games in. Where do you think you guys are now? Still giving up maybe way too many chances. And he, at least what I took from his comments yesterday, was like, you know, he feels... That, especially last night, it wasn't about defensive coverage. That he felt like everybody was where they needed to be in those moments where they were defending in their own zone. Where they're having problems are the turnovers in that transition.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? That's a good question for Kobe. Because I have said when you turn the puck over in the defensive zone, guys are going to be out of position. So how much responsibility yeah, right. do you have to try and get back into position as quickly as possible? I think the bigger problem is the turnover, but there may be an element of if you have a turnover, it doesn't mean that the puck needs to end up in your net automatically. And that's a question for an NHL defenseman who played many, many years. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> almost
2: 1,000 At the games, highest geez. level, right. Yeah, so I right. think
0: that that's a fair question to ask. And and like on that first goal for Bedard, you know, it was Bedard and Hedman and Bedard got to the to the net first after the turnover. So, you know, how much of how much of the goal could have been avoided even with the turnover based on the coverage. But generally, I tend to agree with Sergachev that the Lightning's defensive issues this year have been tied more to Costly turnovers than coverage breakdowns. And there is a difference. Now, some of the problems they had in the second and the third on plays that did not lead to goals because Johansson made saves. Those were in the coverage department. Yes. Where the Hawks were really doing a good job, you know, managing the puck in the offensive zone and making the lightning work.
2: Lucas, by the way, said, call me Bolstradamus. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. That was very good. Uh, Sherry wanted to know, do we know why Sorelli got the misconduct?
0: He was upset with the headman penalty. Yeah. Look, would it have changed the, the outcome of the game? Probably not. I mean, it was in the final minute at that point. But the rule on interference is this. So back in 05, they... They tweaked a number of the rules or flat out changed some of the rules to give offensive players more of an opportunity to make plays. And the interference standard was changed. So it used to be if you were not forget a defenseman, just a defender. You could basically, quote unquote, interfere with an attacking forward if that forward kind of was either push the puck ahead or the puck was behind you and he wanted to get it, you can kind of almost run a screen on him, right? And not let him get around you. And and what the onus was more on the attacking player to find a way to get around you. Which is why the game changed in 05 from a battle through obstruction sort of game to a game in which obstruction is going to be penalized. I mean, it was not black and white, but Although it might have been a subtle change, it was a change. So the rule, as I understand it, and I think as Victor Hedman understands it, is this. If the attacking player pushes the puck past you, but you engage that player right away, you are allowed to hold him up. The problem arises when you don't engage the player right away, and there is a gap between the two of you, and then he takes a stride or two, and you're in the way, and you're not letting him get past you that's what interference is usually called so on that play in which Hedman was was whistled for a penalty look he's aware there was an open net behind him and Nick Felino has the puck and he steps up on Felino. Felino pushes the puck past Victor and it may have even been that had Hedman had the puck if I'm trying to remember the exact sequence lost it Felino pushed it past him but Hedman's right there So, yeah, he does impede his path, but he engaged the opposing player right away, and the official called the penalty anyway. And maybe the official called the penalty because the net was empty. he's like, you didn't let him get to that puck to score an empty net goal. So Hedman was ticked off, slammed his stick against the board, so he got a second minor, and Sorelli probably let the official know what he thought of the penalty and got a misconduct. It's probably good that we don't have yep. that live mic, though, running running through the Do you think the they had some board. choice words? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What would the FCC say about that, Steve? Uh, I don't know. Uh, so we don't know exactly what he said because we didn't hear it. It's probably good that, that we didn't he hear it. He said that was hogwash. Yes. Did he say maybe that's Balderdash. number one BS?
1: Balderdash, yeah.
0: sir. <laughs> Balderdash. Basil
2: says, this team is an enigma. Will be dominant one minute or one period. Then appear clueless the next when they give up goals they do it in bunches
0: well that has been true recently yes he Maybe said i saw recently. bogo sorry go he ahead. said
2: i saw bogo said something about it becoming stale in tampa bay what do you make of that
0: all right so he has two points there as i said recently look vancouver scored two quick goals against the lightning near the beginning of the season the lightning rallied and won that game the lightning have scored quick goals too <laughs> This is a fair question. I'm going to ask Greg how much of this is just baked into the cake for the early season part of the year. I mean, it's not like the Lightning are the only team giving up lots of goals. Just look around the NHL scoreboard last night. All right, this is what the the goal total was for the winning team. The winning team. I'm just going down the list here: five, three, four, five, 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 two six four four three so most teams that won scored four or more a couple of exceptions st louis beat arizona two to one san jose got another win talk about a team that's really trying to figure things out edmonton lost to san jose in regulation three to two so teams are scoring and in fact the losing side in a number of those games scored three nashville scored three in a loss colorado scored three in a loss kings and penguins went to overtime the kings scored three in a loss the lightning scored three in a loss so the goals against numbers may start to come down as we get further into the regular season historically that has been the case it was not the case last year or even the year before when scoring kept going up with each quarter of the season but I don't know. I mean, I think that it's possible that some of that is baked into the cake because the Lightning have scored goals in bunches this year, too. I mean, let's not forget, prior to last night, they had scored four goals in each of the previous two first periods, and a number of those did come in bunches. So he had a little bit more, for, not about the Bogosian part. What else did he have in the first part of the tweet? He said they were an um. enigma, giving up goals in bunches.
2: That part was true. let me see. They appear clueless the next giving up you know
0: yeah dominant so, one
2: minute or one pair then clueless when they give up goals they do it in bunches and then he he had the Bogo
0: comment. right. So look, we'll see how they look tomorrow. I think they are gonna play better tomorrow. It's hard to say that they have been fantastic in the areas that Basil mentioned for the last several weeks, because they have had some breakdowns that have really hurt them. Toronto scored goals in bunches. Columbus scored two big goals in bunches. Last night, Chicago scored goals in bunches. In all those games, the Lightning were unable to get as many points as they would have liked. But there's a reason why I led with the first home game back after a long road trip, And where it seemed to affect the Lightning was in their kind of mental execution at key points in the game. So they are no longer playing the first home game back after a long road trip. They had a night to stew on this last night. After the game, they have a full practice today, which is actually going on as we speak. And we'll see how they perform tomorrow against Carolina. If they play last night, Sorry, if they play tomorrow with the same loosey goosiness as they played last night, they are going to be in big, big trouble against Carolina. But to the extent that we didn't really see that for much of the road trip, we didn't. I mean, they had some isolated problems, but there was a reason why they were ahead going into the third period in all four games on the road trip. I would expect to see that team, not perfect, but not as poor as the team we saw last night tomorrow if that makes sense
2: it does uh, i always say just just i don't say have here.
0: a i always say i don't have a crystal ball but i'm just telling you that their body of work has been better than what they have showed or what they showed last night so i would I'm expect i'm going to simplify it yeah now that they're back home for a couple of days they know they have a top team coming in Now they have to go out and show it, but I kind of felt like last night was a bit of a one-off in terms of how bad they were. We haven't seen them that bad defensively since the early part of the year.
2: I'm not completely turned off by the team's play through 14 games for sure. And I'm just going to throw this out here and, and you can kind of look at it, dissect it as much as you want. I don't know if I'm really going to start to evaluate this team until Vasi comes back. And it's not because I think the goaltending has been poor. It hasn't. We've alluded to that. It's been yeah. it's been a big reason why they've they've been where they are. There's something about getting your horse back though. And what is that trickle down effect? It's not a knock on Tompkins, it's not a a knock on Johansson. You get the best player in the game at that position back. Mm-hmm. I want to see how the team plays with him in that yeah that doesn't necessarily mean that vasilevsky is going to steal more games dave if that makes sense then you know what we'll take that though although he may steal yeah Yeah. (laughs) but i think there is something you know it's kind of like you're playing well with your backup quarterback and you're kind of you're winning some games you're losing some games maybe you're a little bit above 500 a little under but you're doing well to hang in you're like oh we're playing the quarterback is doing pretty well all things considered but the team isn't playing as well as you'd like for reasons that you can you can dissect you get that legit stud back there and it's like okay this is who we are let's go there's a different mindset not only for you but also for the team you're playing against Dave how many times have we seen teams come in to Amelie or when the Lightning are on the road when Vassie's in net and we see opponents misfire mm-hmm. they try to be too fine they miss shots they're a little bit off Why is that? You got Bassey back there. He makes you think a little more when you're shooting.
0: Yeah, Try to be a little finer. The one thing I would say contrary to that, though, Greg, is history has told us that the Lightning do sometimes tend to play loose defensively with Vasilevsky in the net. There was a reason why they wanted to cut down on their high danger scoring chances against from last year, a year in which, by the way, Vasilevsky played what, six out of every eight games. Mm-hmm. But maybe you're right. I hope you're right. I hope that Vassy in the net gives them the swagger. I think Not that's a good reckless swagger, yeah. but, you know, the confidence. Do you want to give up five goals with Vassy
2: being a net? I mean, look, you don't want to do it for anybody, but it's, that's the best goaltender in the world who's coming off major surgery. I think you wanna you want to do well in front of him. And I think, again, you're going into a battle, Dave, with all of the essentials. Yeah. (laughs) And that essential, a big one, is the big cat in that. So I'm curious to see. I'm not going to make too many conclusions regarding their play just yet there are some things we can take from the start for sure, both good and bad.
0: Well, look, to your point, I'm looking at the first period stats last night. The Hawks scored four goals on 10 shots. They had 11 shot attempts. So 10 of their 11 shots were on net. They were definitely not trying to be too fine. They were trying to get their shots on net. Now, look, they had a 2-on-0 and a tap-in and a 2-on-1, which was actually a save for Johansson, the fourth goal, and then Sorelli- basically collided with Johansson, and the puck went in. But, I mean, Bedard is not going to miss the net on a chance like that. He's going to force the goalie to make a save. So I get all of that. But for the game, the Blackhawks had 29 shots. They were credited with 29 and had only 41 shot attempts, meaning that only 12 shot attempts were not on net. That's a pretty good ratio. So they were not trying to be too fine last night oh and by the way shot attempts in the first period 30 for the lightning 11 for chicago so a lot of that happened in the first 15 to 16 minutes yeah
2: uh for his last comment partner yeah let's get into that i didn't see the comment i I didn't read it you did joe smith Um, had it uh, okay about things being
0: stale look well he said so joe said bogosian said much like maroon had said things were getting a little stale in tampa now that's a tweet so we don't have the full context my guess is stale for the player i mean the team doesn't look stale look at where the lightning are in the standings vis-a-vis the wild for crying out loud right now So
2: you took that more as the player yeah than the team like
0: maroon needed a fresh start gotcha the the unspoken two words there were for me, but maybe I'm wrong. Again, yeah, I didn't need the know. full story. I trust
2: Things your Things were getting a on little that. stale
0: in Tampa for me. <laughs>
2: okay, I'm wondering if that was just their conclusion with what's going on in Tampa in general.
0: Well, that's the other way to take it, which I think that, why that's how I touched the question. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's how I. That maybe we'll have Joe on. <laughs> I, that actually might be kind of interesting. Hey, well,
0: Joe, um, what were your thoughts on on? Yeah, Nikita Kucherov had 11 points in three games and now 12 points in four games. He doesn't look stale to me. I mean, he doesn't look stale.
2: I think it's more of the collectively. I mean, if you're of the opinion the Lightning are up and down this year, more so maybe than what we're used to seeing, I I think that's up for debate, but let's go with that narrative. Does that mean that there could be some staleness, so to speak, setting in?
0: Well Maroon made the comment before the season even started. So I mean that would have been related to You added some context to that. I did not I don't have the context. I'm I'm inferring my own context. Right. (laughs) You're gonna have to subscribe to the Athletic and read the story, or we'll have to have Joe on when the Wilds play the lightning. Right. So Basil. We did our best. But I did see the comment, Basil. To be determined. We wish Bogo the best. We do Hope wish does him the well. best. Hope he does well. By the way, Minnesota um, lost four-one last night. I think it's unlikely Bogosian would have played in that game. I was say, was see. he in the lineup? He was in the lineup. Mm. Played fourteen forty-four. No points <laughs> even.
2: Al says money puck has made the Lightning the odds-on favor to win the Stanley Cup. Go figure. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, Lucas also says bounce-back bolts know the drill. Should be much sharper on Saturday. It will also be my daughter's first game ever. Nice. She's too cute for the Bolts to lose.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there are going to be a couple of differences for Carolina coming into that game. The first time, the Hurricanes were finishing, I believe, what was it, a six-game road trip? That's they true. were out west. They, yep. they actually returned to Raleigh after the, whatever it was, if it was a six-game trip, after the fifth game. They went back home and then they came down to to Tampa to play the one game. But I'm not sure that they were operating at typical Carolina Christmas level, and they were scuffling a little bit in the standings. They've they've righted the ship somewhat. I feel like I'm going to the standings more now than than I did in in the last several years combined. But Carolina's in second place in the Metro. They're eight and five and they won two in a row. But I th- I want to say that when they lost to the Lightning they were actually under 500. They've not had any overtime losses or shootout losses or so every one of their losses has been in regulation. I want to say that when they lost to the Lightning that put them a game under 500 if I'm remembering right. Maybe 3 and 4. So since then they have been 5 and 1. That sounds like the Hurricanes, doesn't it? Right. So yeah. the Lightning are going to need to to play at a very high level tomorrow. No bones about it. I think, But they look, they're still in okay shape. I mean, they're tied with the Red Wings for second place in I'm um, looking at the Atlantic Division. So, yeah. look, last night's loss was a stinker. Let's be honest. <laughs> they didn't play very well, and they squandered the first 15, 16 minutes when they were all over Chicago, and they probably could have been up by more than a goal. But, look, let's put that one behind them, and... Uh, they get a chance to to move forward and, and try and rebound. They've done pretty well after losses the last few times they have lost, right? They I'm not including the Seattle game, which was, you know, an overtime loss to, to finish up the road or the home stand, the five game homestand. But, you know, they lost to Columbus. They came back with a really good effort in Ottawa. They had the frustrating loss in Toronto. They came back the next night and and played maybe one of their most complete games. Not maybe it was one of their most complete games of the year in Montreal. So we'll see how they respond after, let's be honest, a really disappointing loss last night.
2: It was. Don't let them linger though. That'll be a big, a big talking point. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they they didn't like the way things transpired and, you know, what's going to happen to rectify it. Kobe is ready. Braden Coburn. Joins us, a former I NHL he was in defenseman
0: Kobe. Well,
2: he was I on TV was last night, so he, he was on TV last night, so <laughs> yeah, he's a lot he of, needs. He needs his know.
0: beauty sleep, maybe. He needs his beauty sleep. <laughs> he's he left his radio TV. people in the dust. He's now smiling pretty for the cameras. I can't blame. You. <laughs> I can't blame you.
2: Kobe. How you doing, Bob? We were just talking about the game uh, a little bit last night. We've had a, a lot of audience participation, talking about the ups and downs uh, of the season and, and what you saw last night. In your opinion, just in general, what were your
1: general takeaways from last night? Well, guys, I got kids, so there's no beauty sleep. I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> Amen <laughs> First, to that. Crack, crack of dawn. But you know what? Last night, my impressions of last night was – I think you guys mentioned it. They had such a great start, and that's kind of been a hallmark of this team of, of good starts. And there was chances to really extend what I thought was a good first half of the first period. There was chances for Merrill. Hagel had some good chances. Point from the slot. It could have easily been 3 nothing at some point in that first period. But after the first period, or <laughs> towards the end of that first period, there was about six minutes where the game just they got out of hand, and there was just no way to stop the bleeding. The Lightning were just, you know, a combination of unbelievable plays by the kid Connor Bedard and a little bit of bad luck um, on the ha- behalf of the Lightning. But those things are going to happen. But at at some point in the six minutes, you just can't concede that many goals. It's just inevitable. And I, I just kind of from listening to Coach Cooper and his comments after the game, you know. They they were like, yes, there were some nice plays and a little bit of bad luck. But at the end of the day, the Lightning gifted a lot of those chances. And even the ones that didn't go in and Johansson made saves on, it was just a a stretch of play that was just, you know, just not, not acceptable for the team.
0: So one of the things we talked about at the start of the show, Kobe, and I want to get your take on it. So the first home game back after a long road trip, I mean, people talk about it enough that it's not some mirage. Like, it, it, it does happen. Teams sometimes struggle in that regard. The Lightning didn't struggle out of the gates last night, as you talked about. But I'm interested in what happened after it became 5-2, to two, where Coop said it just felt like we didn't have pushback, and he was disappointed by that. Do you think that the grind of the road trip had any bearing on them trying to dig deep and not finding that next gear? And, or when you get punched in the mouth, like they did, is it just hard to push back because you got punched in the mouth?
1: Well, I think Chicago was a fragile team coming in. They had lost a lot of games. There's a lot being said about their players only meeting they had on Sunday and and how they would have been just very disappointed in their play. And, I thought they could have had them on the ropes early and just kind of compounded those struggles that the Blackhawks had had. But you give a team that, you know, frankly, they have some talent in that dressing room. There's young talent, there's veteran talent. They gave them some breathing room. And then it's it's tough. You, you can't spot any team in the league that many goals. Although um, Toronto did it to us a couple nights ago and we weren't able to hold on um, for that game. But I, I, I think there is some... There is some letdown when you do come home. You're and this and listen. The home ice advantage for the Lightning has been a security blanket for not nah, just uh, more than a few years. It's they've been excellent on home ice and and struggled on the road. It's 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 kind of confusing to see what happens with this team. And it's it's. I, I was talking with the. Uh, chief after the game and, and we were talking about just the hots and colds of this team there's been there hasn't been too many stretches when it's just been lukewarm it's been it's been a combination of being really hot or really cold and, and I'm sure that it's it's hard for the coaching staff to really figure that out and you know when you have when you have as much talent as this team does it it, it, it compounds the frustration Brian Coburn joins us here on Power Lunch
2: on Lightning Radio. Kobe, I'm curious, there's been a lot of talk about some adjustments the team has made defensively, I guess, in their own zone. Can you speak to anything you're seeing that jumps out as to what they're doing differently this year compared to maybe what we've seen the last couple? And do you think their defensive play on their own end is the issue or is it more turnover-related in the neutral zone or even in the defensive zone that is causing some breakdowns?
1: I saw a few instances early in the season, probably the first six games, where I, I noticed a little bit of indecision in assignments, where people were supposed to go. But since then, I've seen a, a gradual improvement in how they've playing in the defensive zone. Although the most important place, and this is an area that they have continued to struggle it's defending in front of their net and I know Mish has talked about this a lot and it's not always going to be just the defense that the defensemen that are are tasked with that responsibilities a lot of times it falls on the low forward with a combination of defensemen but just the coverage in front of the net has been weak there's been instances where rebounds have been sitting there um, times when guys sticks need to be need to be uh wrapped up and and taken away or just generally moving people out of the crease so Johansson can see pucks it's it's an area of weakness right now the fact, the fact that this team has allowed the most uh five on five goals against in the league uh outside of san jose who's you know frankly a, a, an awful team is is just you know it, it's one of those things i'm sure that's um, just driving this this coaching staff crazy right now. You just that amount of goals you've let up, and the fact that you've got a guy in Johansson that's come in, and and by most general takes, he's played fairly well. He's faced a bar- uh, so many shots, a barrage of shots. There's just um, you know, it's it's tough to pinpoint. But as far as defensive zone structure, I, I guess that kind of falls into the coverage in front of the net you know last night there was uh, the one play was a turnover the guy walks out of the corner Bedard gets free from Hetty and shovels that in the back door and that's for me that's an example of coverage in front of the net that just wasn't good enough and I know from Hetty's standpoint sometimes you're looking at Bedard I think he's listed about 5'10 and Hetty's about 6'7 those smaller guys they get underneath your arms sometimes it's tough to wrap them up but it's an area of the net where it just has to, all the alarm bells have to be going off that this is a high danger zone. And, and there's just the commitment to coverage in front of the net has to be heightened for this group.
0: Kobe, we've taken a lot of comments and questions from fans wondering about this adjustment to the D zone, which the Lightning aren't the only team to do it around the league. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of teams are trying to emulate to some extent what Vegas has put into effect to great effect to win the Stanley Cup playing that way. But I have always come back with, well, if you have a turnover, you're, you're kind of not really in your defensive system when you turn the puck over in the defensive zone. Can you speak to, like, what is the challenge? How difficult is it to track guys when the puck, you think it's coming out of the defensive zone, but then it isn't? And how difficult is that then to prevent, let's say, a scoring chance like the one you just referenced for Bedard?
1: Yeah. Mish, you've mentioned it. There's a few teams in the league that are trying to make this transition. And listen, it's a copycat league. We we know that. When teams have success, other teams try to emulate. And the Lightning aren't the only team. And one of those teams I actually watched last night when I got home, it was the Edmonton Oilers who have been just (laughs) spinning their tires uh, playing the San Jose Sharks. And I watched a team last night in Edmonton that looked like they were th- – there was general confusion and and kind of what they were doing. But the, the biggest thing is you want layers of support and you want coverage and you want players on the defensive side of the puck. And that's just called – you can't cheat for offense. And that's the one thing that will drive any coach in this league crazy is that support. And you have to have these layers of support and defensive zone coverage, and and especially like you said, Mish, when the puck is moving up, you have to come from underneath the puck because if there is a turnover or it hits a ref or it hits a stanchion, things in hockey happen. It's a game of mistakes, absolutely, but you have to have the guys in place to make sure that those things, when they do happen, you have people in position to make a play or to make a good defensive play Right now, there, there just doesn't seem to be that layer of protection that, that they're they're trying to emulate that Boston does so well, that the Golden Knights have been able to perfect and, and really put on a show in this early in the season. So it's, it's a work in progress. Uh, I, I see signs of it getting better, um, but there's still a long ways to go for them right now. Braden Coburn joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio.
2: Kobe, what do you make of the back end collectively? How well have they played... How are some of the younger guys uh, doing this year compared to last, and and where do you see that that unit going? And Bogo leaving, you know, and the impact that has.
1: Yeah, well, I'll start with I'll start with Bogo. He's uh, one of those guys. He's a, he's a glue guy in the dressing room, a great veteran, uh, right-handed shot, at the table to slot in when you need him. He's a physical presence, so he'll be missed. I know he was he's well liked in the dressing room, and definitely from a personal note, I wish him well in in, in Minnesota, and and hopefully he. Gets a, gets a chance to play a little bit more and having a little bit more impact on the team. But as a whole, I think when you look at the group and you've given up as many goals as you can, there's going to be questions about how you've played defensively as a group. And, and that's a pride thing. And, and anytime you're in those decor meetings and the defense are getting together and you're trying to brainstorm and really figure out exactly what you're going to do, you know that's just it's not acceptable uh that many goals and there's definitely things that this group can do to clean up from an individual standpoint you look at Hedman the fact that he's second in defensive scoring in the NHL from um, that standpoint offensively he's been he's been really good i thought uh he looks just he looks healthy out there to me his skating looks good um, as far as the the new guys in the group and the younger guys, I think there's definitely steps and that uh, that need to be taken, and it's hard sometimes um, when the team as a general is struggling and and there's just so many things that kind of factor into playing defense in this league. It's it's not it's not an easy pos- position and and one that I, I just keep going back to what you keep saying, Mish, is team defense isn't just on the defenseman, It's a whole group in, in total, but A guy like Purbix last year, he had such a great start coming into the season. And this year, he struggled a little bit. He's been in and out of the lineup, which is hard for a young player. Um, Don't get me wrong. Anytime you come in and out of the lineup, it's difficult. And sometimes, as a player you're just so used to wanting to play every night and you get these gaps in the coverage and it's, it's tough for a young guy and it's going to be something he's going to have to learn, learn about and figure out, but I expect them to be better. But one area that I think this group can really focus on and keep improving is the physicality of the group. I'd love to see the physicality of this defense core be elevated and I think when they do that, they'll become more engaged, they'll become better defensively, they're going to be able to keep people on the outside a little bit more than they have so far. I want to ask you about Purbix and,
0: and share a story I heard about Anton Strawman when he came over from the Rangers that first year, which was the same year that, that you joined the team at the deadline. What impressed me about Purbix last year when he came up was his poise with the puck, and, and I noted that same quality in strawman And when the Rangers came in early that first season, we were talking with Dave Maloney, who does their broadcasts and, you know, you don't gain an appreciation for a player as much until you start seeing him every game, every shift. And, you know, Brian Engblom, actually it was Chief then, Chief Rick and I were talking to Dave and we're like, man, Strawman, like, he's so poised. And he's like, well, he's got four kids at home. <laughs> Playing at a game is like a walk in the park, you know. <laughs> but that was something that Straws had to his game. It seemed like nothing bothered him. He was kind of unflaffable. And I noticed that quality in Pervix last year. Is that something a player just has innately, like to the extent that Perbix has had a little bit of a, a rough go of it this second year, he's always going to have that poise, isn't he? Which is always going to serve him well.
1: Yeah, I I think it's, it's, well, it's been called many different things. I know you mentioned poise, uh, composure. I used to call it the panic meter. So how long can I hold on to this puck? How long can I scan the ice? And it's... I like going back to a quarterback in the pocket and the way they are able to scan the field and stand in there and make a play. And when he came up last year, that was exactly one of the first things I noticed. He was able to go into the corner. He was able to scan and look at his options and find the right play. And it just helped. They were the sixth best team in breaking the puck out of the league last year, which is, which is a remarkable stat and something that boded them well. But We see with young defensemen, sometimes there's an adjustment going into their second full-season pro, and Perbix is no different. I think this is going to be a growing uh, stage for him, first in the season, but one that I expect him to keep going because he does have that unique ability to control play, control his emotions, and control his panic meter, his composure out there, and it's something that, you know, it, it's hard to teach that. It's hard to teach that at different levels. It's something that all coaches try to teach, but ineptly, it's just something that he has in him that he's developed through the years, and it's one of the strengths of his game. Brian Coburn joins
2: us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Kobe, we're only about 14 games in. As somebody who played in the NHL, are you looking at the standings at all at this point?
1: <laughs> I, I, so when we are doing really well, Yes, I'm looking at the standings all the time. (laughs) When the team is struggling, I am not looking at the standings. I really don't want to know. Um, I know I'm just kind of trying not to focus on some of the negativity of it. But the fact that the way the Lightning have played, which they definitely have room for improvement in many different areas of their game, there's... They're sitting in a pretty good spot. I believe it's, and you guys might know better than me, but I, I believe it's third in the Atlantic division right now. There's parts of their game. I, we've kind of touched on some of the negative parts, but there's touch, parts of their game that is just simply spectacular right now. I know when they went into the offseason, they wanted to address what they do in the penalty circle or in the in the face-off circle. You know, they, they're Right now they're sitting at fourth best in face-off percentage, and I think a guy like Glenn Denning, you know, he's obviously a really, really good at what he does and taking face-offs. But I think just bringing in a guy like that, he's affected the whole group as a total. His, his just having a guy like in there, being able to kind of practice against him in practice, I'm sure they share thoughts on different guys, and he's he's a veteran leader, and he's helped probably a guy like Sorelli immensely just by watching what he's doing and, and going against each other in practice. And then the special teams, they have specialty teams, they've been spectacular. The, 34% on the power play is simply an amazing clip. It, it, it should be first in the league, but somehow the New Jersey Devils are 41%, which is just just crazy. 82, 87% on the penalty kill, six best in the NHL. Those are all great things that they have going on, things they can definitely build on.
0: Carolina comes in tomorrow, Kobe, and... They are probably the most aggressive forechecking team in the NHL. What, as a defenseman, do you need to do when you're tracking a puck in your own end and you're facing a team that forechecks like
1: they do? Well, they work. They're always working. It's kind of one of the hallmarks of Carolina Hurricanes hockey is is pressure. And we've talked a little bit about our defensive zone and, and the layers of protection. They do something just a little bit different. They are... They are a man-on-man team for the most part, and they—they've they've been able, and that's part of their identity, and that's part of one of the ethoses of what makes Carolina Hurricanes well. And they've—they've they've been able to do that, and and but they're a pressure club. That when you're playing against them, you have to understand that pressure is coming, and that you have to move the puck quickly and then move to space to support your other players on your team. Or else they're going to eat you up. You're going to be turning pucks over. They're going to be on you. You're going to be. Your face is going to be in the glass all night long because they they play a physical style. So th- these are these are a challenge. And they've I believe they've won five of the last six. They're a good team. Got off to a little bit of a slow start, but you know they're they're a preseason favorite for a lot of people to come out of the East.
2: Kobe, last question on my end, and I'm sure you you saw it and the news with the tragedy that happened with Adam Johnson and and everything that, that happened with the skate and blade and, and all of that. And now there's, you know, a a push potentially to have that area protected. Does that make sense? Is, is that a, an overreaction you think Because sometimes that that does happen when you see a tragedy and what would that be like for a player wearing kind of a a neck protection?
1: All of us, And Wayne Gretzky said this on air a few few days ago that all of these players in the NHL, we grew up wearing neck guards. It was all through minor hockey. Guys wore neck guards. And the fact now, you know, when I was a kid, the neck guard was kind of this thick piece of foam plastic. It looked like almost like a necklace you put on it was, it was annoying. It was, it was very annoying. It was kind of one of those things that guys would even roll. They would tape up and they'd try to make as skinny as possible. So it wasn't affecting kind of moving up and down their neck. And nowadays there the Kevlar is built into the shirt that guys wear underneath. And it's almost just like a, a turtleneck. It's what my kids wear when they're playing hockey. And I've seen different guys. I know when we were playing last night, I noticed a few guys wearing them. Uh, Claude Giroux, who I played with for many years in Philly, he had one on in Ottawa the other night. I think you're going to see this more and more as guys adapt to it and they understand that there's not a, a big difference in the comfort level and if it's something that's going to protect you against something that could happen that's you know, frankly just awful and, and this is you know an incident that's kind of a freak accident, but why wouldn't you take the steps to protect yourself? That's That's my position on it.
0: Well, I think one reason why, at least as it related to the visor question, when visors were optional, is there was a perception that if you wore a visor, you weren't tough. I, I don't know why that would be the case with something that's like a turtleneck, but do you see that potentially affecting guys who who have that persona, and they're like, well, I'm not wearing one because I have my tough guy persona?
1: Right. Well, <laughs> one of the things that you know I love – about the nhl is you you should be able to make that decision i I don't really believe that it should be mandated by the league and if guys want to make that decision to wear those things they should be allowed to it's no different than if i want to wear a pair of shin pads that are the size of brayden or brayden points i'm allowed to do that i'm exposing myself to harm but at the end of the day that's kind of my problem, and that's my issue. That's that's my choice. So I'm I'm kind of on the player's um, spectrum of if a player wants to put one on, then he is to compl- he should be encouraged to do it. There shouldn't be a stigma behind wearing a neck guard. But also, if the player does not want to, that should also be their choice.
0: I do have one last hockey related question relating to the Lightning, and you know the NHLPA just announced that Nikita Kucherov was the player of the week. I guess they they start their tracking over the weekend so his five point game in ottawa counted but you played a lot of games with cooch do you i mean he's dangerous always but can you tell when he finds that extra gear and he like it's almost like spilling confetti like the points are just raining down on him in a short period of time or were you able to tell
1: like when he got in that sort of a zone it's he's he's a guy that is just uber talented and last night when I'm watching him I I got uh was texting with actually Alex Kalorn who was watching the game as well and he just says you what do you think of the best player on the planet tonight and I was like he's just been spectacular he he really has he's he's in the zone right now and and when I played with him you could see this it's just we talked about Perbix and his composure with the puck, Cooch takes it to another level. And his ability for creativity and poise and seeing plays and the fact this year that he's been a shooter all over the ice, he's got his career attempts are, are way higher than his historical and past seasons have been. He, he's he's just, honestly, he's feeling it right now. And the chemistry he has with Braden Point is a, an opposing defenseman on another team. It's something that <laughs> you're, the night before a game, you're thinking about those two guys coming at you, and they're through the seam, and they're through the box, and they're skating into traffic, and they're. I saw Braden point last night. I think break the <laughs> Seth Jones's ankles on one of his curl ups. It's they're a handful, and they're a, a combination of both those guys. Um, they have they have some some special special talents, but Cooch this year he's been. He's been on fire. It's it's the highest play as I've seen uh, from him in in a long or probably his whole career.
2: High praise for sure, Kobe. We uh, always appreciate you jumping on. Let's do it again real soon. Talking some hockey.
1: Yeah, guys, I I I really appreciate it, and uh, I I don't know if you guys have talked um, much tonight about the Connor Bedard um, show that was last night. I'm sure you. He looked pretty good, huh? Yeah. But I, you know, I was watching some of the stuff just this morning, kind of on replay, and his 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 some of his stuff is it, it kind of blew me away a little bit. You know, when you see a player for the first time doing things that you just you don't really expect, it uh, it was really surprising to me on 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 the strip from Kucherov in the neutral zone. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but he turned a stick over upside down and he kind of knocked the puck away from Kucherov in just a, a weird way that I usually you don't see, and then got on his horse and got to the net and, and ended up scoring on the 2-on-1. And and on the 2-on-1 that he passed uh, on another goal to Tyler Johnson, he had a no-look backhand sauce pass to the back door. And I'm just trying to remember the last time I've seen a guy with that kind of confidence and skill level to do something like that His hands are his hands. We we've talked, and it's been extensively talked about how his shot is is very good, his release is amazing, but his passing skills and the way he just kind of able to flick his wrists, I was I was very very impressed um, with that young man last night.
2: I was going to say, what are some things that stick out for you that let you know that guy's got it? You know.
1: The, the the fact that he's 18 years old and, and yeah. he he plays the way he does and yeah. and you know you 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 just kind of you see the way he moves and on the power play he was not fixed in one position he was kind of the central point he was moving around the zone and anytime he saw a seam it was it was just it was he was able to just kind of flip his wrist and the puck flew off his stick to the seam on a nice flat pass and when you can, you have that level of deception. As a defending player, it's extremely hard because you don't know when the pass is coming. You're trying to cover your lane, and he's finding spots between your feet, between the triangle of your body and your stick. And and the the touch on the on the passes that he did have, um, he's just a guy that he's going to be he's going to be a menace for <laughs> um, any team playing against him for a very long time. And uh, for me, he is as advertised. Kobe, we
2: will see you at the rink soon, and uh, thanks for coming on. We thanks,
1: Kobe. It. Thanks, guys.
2: All right, Braden Coburn, always great to have him on. It will be soon because
0: he's going to be yeah. doing the game the Lightning have at home against Edmonton. Yes. I guess Phil is out of town. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Probably. So after the Lightning, come back from the road trip next week, St. Gotcha. Louis and Chicago. Partner,
2: it's been a fun week. Yes, and... it has. We'll get into uh, the game uh, tomorrow with the pregame show and then the game call, Lightning and Canes, and then we'll be back at it again on Monday, recapping, as we do. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you, sir. See you tomorrow night. Thanks to everybody who joined us this week, who listened. We appreciate you. Thanks to Steve Ersnick and Austin Wright. We will talk to you on Monday in this form, noon to one, on Lightning Radio.